When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with a what seems to be partially hairless Nick. <laughs> not not partially hairless. Uh, for those of you that have never seen me, up until Saturday or really Friday night, I had a, um, a rather poofy man bun slash ponytail, quite a large amount of hair for someone who usually keeps it pretty short. So I decided after many failed attempts to shove it under a chef hat, that it was impossible to look professional with it, so I went back to basics and uh, buzzed it off. It definitely got my attention right off the bat. I was getting used to that samurai look you had going on. I, too, like the samurai look. I actually really enjoyed having that that little poof, but it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not really the image I want to have right now. Gotcha, gotcha. So it was, a, it was a business decision. Yes. Gotcha. All right, well, we finally are like finding some kind of cadence of coming back here and doing shows even though we're squeezing them in here and there which is very nice because again i missed doing this on a regular basis so something that something i ran across in that whole christmas period slash sleep for a week slash have to run reruns because we weren't caught up yet was a netflix series called don't look up have you seen that that's a movie and i have seen it Oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. It's a movie. It'd be worse if it was a series. I was told to watch it. Several people sent it to me. Uh, Jamie had said I should see it. I did. And now I'm sad. (laughs) Uh, Why? Why? Because it was made or because it's so close to reality in some aspects that it's depressing? (laughs) Well, there was everybody's like, oh, my God, it's so funny. It's not. It's not funny because there's so many similarities to what is going on on top of the fact that it is filled with a massive cast of climate activists and science advocates that at this point, I kind of get the feeling they decided that we've said everything we can say. No one's listening. Let's make fun of everybody and see what happens. And you know what we did? We went, wow, that was super funny. Yeah. So... (sighs) There's lots of aspects about it that I found to be real. I don't actually think it's funny at all. And I don't. I As much as I love humor, I love laughing the comedies, I don't really find that movie to be funny. I find the acting to be foolishly over the top. And the actors that are usually uh, put into films like Jonah Hill and stuff to be funny, I, I just feel like they fell flat. I do think Leonardo DiCaprio was okay. Jennifer Lawrence was okay. I think that the the best performance of it probably is the lady that plays, plays the president. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, the movie itself was okay. I, I one thing I did find kind of clever is that the, the, the roles in the film, not like the main three or four characters, not the climate people, but not, they're not even climate people. They're the, the, the comet people, the, the astronomers and the rest of it, like the whole political part of it. If you, if you watch the movie more than once, the first time you watch it, it's just a movie. The second time when you break it down, the, the roles are switched mid film. So when you watch it there, it's a blatant, a, I don't want to say a representation of like what we would deem as the right and left mid film. 
they switch those roles. And in both scenarios, regardless of how you align, both representations are so outlandish and so far-fetched that and it's meant to be done in satire. But I do feel like it, it did a good job of demonstrating the polarization that in a country we actually really do have here. And then, yeah, it's, it, I don't know. I just, there's lots of things, but I didn't like, I'm glad, I'm actually glad it was made. It's sad. It's depressing, but some parts of it are just creepily, eerily true. Well, first things first, I know that this, you know, some of the actors and actresses are a little obscure. That person, that that lady who plays the president is Meryl Streep. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't remember her name. <laughs> um, no, it, it was one of those things that I saw. And when I got done watching it, I felt worse. And it wasn't because the movie was terrible. It wasn't because I didn't like the acting. It was because the message is, it's hard when you look out the window and see the same thing happening as as the, the show itself. On top of the fact that I have people in my life who match or at least align with some of those characters who thought blindly it was just a funny show. Never, it never hit them that the role that they find so funny is the one that they play <laughs> in life. Well, good culture, good pop culture, good good entertainment usually are things that that resonate either with you or with you regarding people that you know you know the greatest stand-up comedy is the comedy that you know is true when they when they tiptoe around those taboo subjects so they just step right through that door of things that it's kind of like a hush hush topic that's when comedy gets good that's when comedy gets funny in in this scenario they i don't find it to be funny but they did the same thing they, they they put a lot of things out that like you can scream to your blue in the face about something really dangerous and it's really going to happen but if they don't want to go with it then they don't go with it and then the rest of the world is just you know blissfully ignorant in that movie all the people that try to do the right thing end up dying gracefully while they eat dinner while the people that were blatantly ignoring it and in there had their own best interest at heart instead of the fate of the mankind around a giant rocket ship flying off into space well, they'll probably die in 10 minutes, you know, after they run out of fuel and food. So it's, it, it was a, uh, I don't know. Like you said, it, I didn't prepare to have this conversation about this movie. I have thoughts all over the place. <laughs> no, that's fine. I just, it's one of those things I wanted to talk about briefly before we started the show, before it got too far away from, from when it was released. I would have liked to have talked about it when it first came out, but it was just one of those things that it rubbed me the wrong way and it bothered me as as a person who's an advocate for science, as a person who's who discusses climate on a regular basis, it was unnerving because I've had some of those conversations where nothing is understood other than money. And you know this because I do we do shows or we we talk about the financial side of things so that it helps people understand what we're talking about because that's where people care about. And the fact that someone was like, hey. If if well, what is the use of trillions of dollars if you're dead? And the character's like, "Ooh, I'm gonna be rich. It's totally terrible," <laughs> and like mm -hmm. laughs it off. That happens everywhere. That happens in every climate conversation in most new technologies. And this is where I can transfer and actually transition into the show. It happens a lot, even with self-driving. And that's what we're gonna talk today. Talk about today is self-driving cars and is it sustainable? 
So a lot of discussion is going around with self-driving vehicles. Mm-hmm. You've expressed some fear of letting the the vehicle drive. Yeah, remember, I, I think in one of the past episodes, I talk about all the seats facing to the middle of the car, and the car just kind of takes you from point A to point B like mass transit, except for you don't see or have a driver. And yes. A lo- and, and a lot of the very first things you think about are, that is going to be wonderful. That is going to be sustainable. That is going to really help traffic. With GPS built in, they're going to know when there's a traffic jam on this street and take a different route. You know, we've talked about a lot of that stuff. But the more you dig into it, is it really sustainable? Like I said last time when we did discuss this, I do think there is a long way to go before it becomes sustainable, if it even is feasibly sustainable. I think that there's so much infrastructure that has to be put into these to where it's going to be safe. Because I do have, I have fears and reservations about it. Do I think it's a terrible idea? No, I think it's a wonderful idea. I don't think it's bad at all. I think the potential positive sides of it are just amazing. But I do think that like with most new technologies, there's some kinks that are going to have to be worked out. And I think that until they get the network down and there's going to have to be a network i mean they're gonna if we're talking about like everyone having a self-driving car we were talking like you know 15 20 years in the future where this is the majority of transit they all have to be centralized into a network where they're in constant communication with some kind of server that tells them where each other are you know in combination with their own sensors and i mean there's got to be some type of infrastructure built that allows them to to network together Otherwise, I would have zero confidence in it at all. Well, the real question is, is when we do this episode and release it, are we going to get the same backlash on self-driving cars as we did electrified vehicles? I hope so. That was fun. (laughs) I don't know if fun is the term, but... Uh, After taking my ego out of it, funny was exactly the term. It was hilarious. (laughs) So let's just look at some of the pros and cons about... Uh, self-driving vehicles or automated vehicles, however you want to term it. I'm I'm not sure they have a a basic term yet, but first things first, everybody's heard me say it. Robots are more efficient than people and in almost every every aspect of the imagination. Mm -hmm. So when we think about that stuff, there's actually going to be less crashes by a mistake of a vehicle. Okay, so computers will make less mistakes and there'll be less crashes because they're not they never get distracted. Now, can that will it be perfect and will they go with no crashing? Will there you know, where there'll be no fender benders or or even forbid a vehicle takes you off a cliff like wholeheartedly and happy to do so <laughs> because it thinks there's a road going there. Those things may still happen. They'll be few and far between and well less than human drivers. Well, you got to figure like this two two of the things you just mentioned right there are conceivably would be con- caused by two very different things the first thing about the fender benders and stuff odds are if there's going to be a fender bender we're talking of the future it's going to be because the self-driving car could not account for the human error in the car next to it well and i think i've said this before they're testing automated vehicles in ann arbor right now and remember when it comes to ai or self-learning i think this is more self-learning than ai the vehicles have that are automated have learned to cluster together and avoid human drivers because they can't account for the erratic driving. <laughs> I love I love that the machines have learned enough to be afraid. That is that's hilarious. They tend to cluster together where they can anticipate the movements and work together versus this unknown. Imagine in the next it, lane. 25 years we'll be telling our great grandkids about how Skynet started. 
first the cars just didn't want to be around human drivers well or remember we talked about boston dynamics where they were trying to teach the the robot balance so they had it wandering around the office while shoving the crap out of it (laughs) throwing marbles in front of it trying to trip it so i think there's plenty of reasons there is no danger of drunk drivers once vehicles become automated and i mean that as a general when all vehicles become automated because people can still make the wrong decision but if mm-hmm. every vehicle was automated there is no drunk driving your vehicle is the chauffeur it will always take the best route now sometimes we call the best route the most fun route or a scenic route it will take the most efficient route it will avoid traffic it will do what it needs to do to get from point a to point b as quickly as possible yeah i was gonna say by best you really just mean fastest but which also leads to fuel savings and it doesn't mean it, it doesn't matter if it's internal combustion or electric when you use less energy to do something it's better uh it will likely speed up transit getting people from point a to point b much quicker there won't be road rage you can't swerve in front of someone you can't do things to cause anger and conflict on the road when you're not even necessarily paying attention it offers the thing i like about automated vehicles and this is my number one thing even though there are other things it offers mobility to those who can't drive it doesn't matter if you've lost your license for a reason or you're elderly and you're unable to drive at this point or handicapped, you're still part of the community. You can still get from point A to point B and you can still do things in town or elsewhere, visit family because you have this mobility option. And I find that to be very appealing because it, it can be very challenging to use mass transit, especially in places like where I live in Duran, there is no mass transit. Mm-hmm. This is where a car could pick someone up and take them wherever they want to go, which means it doesn't matter if it's up to the mall or to California, they can now move again and and be out of that centralized area. One of the things I think is really cool about potential future outcomes is that if a city, as the time goes on, has the funding or can allocate the funding somehow, a city could have five, six, maybe 10 electric cars that are self-driving and everything that you could almost like an Uber, but, you know, provided by the city. I don't want to call it mass transit because obviously it's on a bus or it's on a train, but you could say, I've got to go to city hall today at, you know, 10 o'clock to renew this license or apply for this. You go online, you fill the application out and submit it. And then the car picks you up, takes there, you do what you have to do and you come back. I just, I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of possibilities that I've been thinking. Actually, I haven't thinking a lot about this since uh, you and I briefly talked at it last time. I've been trying to figure out why I thought people would be so apprehensive about it. And I finally figured out that it's a control thing. And I think that if with the self-driving cars, if you, if they're designed, so it's more of a, a community in the inside, instead of like, instead of, you know, four chairs all facing the same way, if they're all able to swivel where you can sit down and have conversations, maybe they've got a table in there where you could play games or just something to pass the time. The other thing I think is critical though, is, is to take away the view of the road. Now it sounds silly, but if you're driving down a road and let's say your brakes go out and you know, you know that you no longer have the ability to control your stop, your anxiety flares up and you freak out because you just lost control over, you know, a vehicle and you could potentially get into an accident. Now you don't have that same feeling when you're on a train, you just kind of sit there and you go from point A to point B, right? So uh, what's the difference? Well, the difference is the train offers a lot more security. It's a lot bigger and you don't have to worry about other drivers versus a car, which is more personal and it's a lot smaller. So I, I honestly believe instead of actually having windows where you can see where you're going, if everything's already programmed in and all you have to do is literally get on a ride, like it's a tiny train, take the view away. 
you know, I think that would go a long way in making people feel more confident and more comfortable in the drive. I don't know, <clears throat> because then you start getting into equilibrium issues. There's other stuff that goes on. You know, I don't know how that necessarily works. I know that that motion without context kind of messes with us as people, which is why your airplane generally has windows. Your train generally has some kind of window. I don't believe I don't believe Hyperloop does, but there's nothing to see. You're in a tube. And I, I know that they had some issues with acceleration and deceleration that caused sickness. Yeah, but with Hyperloop, it makes sense it caused sickness because it's it's you speed up and then you slow down. It's not like a car where, okay, so what you're talking about is in a car, a lot of people don't realize this, but your body automatically compensates for the change in motion because you're used to riding in cars. And it does it differently as a driver versus a passenger. That's why when you're driving and you take a sharp turn, you, you feel fine. You make the turn and you watch the person next to you grab a hold of a handle and the dash. It's not always that they're scared. A lot of times that their body wasn't ready for the change of inertia and they're trying to counteract it because they didn't expect it because they're not driving. So your body has a lot of automatic responses because you trained it on how to react when you drive. Also, your muscles, like in your core and your stomach and stuff like that, are all instantly tense when you drive. No matter how comfortable you feel, your body at its core is adjusting to the pressures and everything that's changing as you're going in the car. And you're right. Without seeing the road, without having that, that visual aid, it'd be real hard for your body to adjust. So maybe, I don't know, maybe make it into like one of those, those, uh, totally immersive movies and put a TV show on, like watch Indiana Jones while you drive something that <laughs> counteracted. But I, I just think that uh, it would help the ego in people because it is, it's a control thing. Yeah. And it's, and when I talk about like car sickness and stuff, I know that it's not the velocity. It's the change in velocity that you have. And without reference, it tends to be worse. Absolutely. So it's not that we're, you know, it doesn't matter if you're doing nine miles an hour or 300 miles per hour. If you're at a constant rate, relativity has you at neutral. You're just normal. It's that acceleration and deceleration that our body struggles with. Now, one of the things about self-driving cars is that insurance rates would drop dramatically. Because you're reducing crashes, you're reducing decisions, you're reducing distractions. They cluster together, apparently. and But you will start to see this cost drop in, well, in insurance. What I'd like to see is a total reformat of the way insurance is done. If you are, think about this. If you are buying a self-driving car, now you don't. You didn't program the car. The only the only insight you have into that car is you tell it where you want it to go and it gets you there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So really, I truly believe this, that they should change the law to where the, the, the car manufacturer or the software engineer, whoever is responsible for the navigation system in that car, the mechanics to get you, should be, in, should be responsible for the insurance. And the insurance premium, instead of being 150 or something a month, should be a small subscription service that you pay every month as part of having the car. I don't think that like, like OnStar, I don't I don't think that you should be paying ridiculous amounts of insurance when you take all of the liability out of the car because human error is the reason for it. Well, I don't know the statistic, but I, the majority of crashes are because people are stupid and don't pay attention. Well, if you take all that out and the bugs are worked out where you have this whole system of cars are networking together and they're moving like ants in a colony, they just know where everyone's at and there's no problems, then why should we be paying insurance? Well, keep in mind that the insurance isn't for, I mean, yes, they charge for the level of risk or the assumed risk, but it's just for property damage. Yeah, I know. 
But so this is a replacement of your vehicle, no matter what happens. Insurance is based on the individual and their property. And and that makes sense when the individual is driving their own vehicle. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, you don't have any say. If that car gets to an accident, you're what? You have to pay for it or you have to pay, your insurance has to pay for it because you were riding in it, but you had nothing to do with it. You're becoming a passenger in a different vehicle. Honestly, when you look at it like that, if the driver of the car is the what caused the accident, the company, why should you be liable? Why should you pay for any of that? Why should you pay for the insurance for that? Well, man, if, if as long as they're considered liable. Well, I, mean, I think I think there's accidents that can happen beyond the software criteria. For example, right now, Tesla's, <clears throat> you know, the it tells you you must pay attention. And that is their default so that they're not held accountable for the autopilot. But uh, they had a problem with autopilot where it would lock into the vehicle in front, kind of like um, um, like the automated cruise systems that they have now. But if that vehicle left the lane and there was a car parked in front of it, you know, how sometimes someone will move and then you have something in front of you, the, yeah. car, the car at the time wouldn't compensate. But they get around the the legalities and the laws by saying it's your job to be aware. So I, it really depends on how it all folds out in the future. I understand that, but like it, it, maybe I'm just making a mistake of like a poor a poor assumption here. But when we talk about like self driving cars and, and the future of them, I I envision a car that doesn't have a steering wheel. That the, the, the driver or the the rider, if you will, has no real way to take control over anything. Right. I mean. It sounds outlandish, but it, if we're talking about something that's primarily AI, then it sure shouldn't exist. Well, and I don't believe, I want to clarify this for the term AI will scare the pants off people. <clears throat> that means machines are making their own decisions. Oh, like the algorithms on Google that show you what you just bought? Those are self-learning. <laughs> Those are not AI. AI makes a decision based on the large amount of information it has to its own advantage, usually. This is machine learning, which is it learns as it goes, gets better at its job, but it's still locked into its job, just like a just like a, a robot or computer is. So I want to say that because I made that mistake in an earlier episode where I called things AI when it really was machine learning. And there's very those are very different things. Now, one of the real questions about automated vehicles is, does it actually create less traffic? No. Because, you know, the first thing you say is it all takes different routes so it can get there quicker. So you don't end up with this traffic jam of vehicles because they all take different routes. That doesn't make sense. What do you mean? What I mean is that if if the machine takes the the most efficient route for a, a given route or given trip, all play all cars going to that place will take the same route, so the traffic's going to be the same. Well, just like your GPS, until the estimated arrival time exceeds a different route. So once there's enough vehicles in one place to actually slow traffic to the point where taking another route is more efficient, it will take that other route, and they will continue to do that to spread out the vehicles in different routes so then it won't be less traffic it'll be the same as it is now it just won't be on the same road okay so now i start thinking about emissions self-driving cars right now if you take a tesla it has something called valet parking and we've talked about it in the past and we've even kind of cheered about it a little bit where you pull yourself up right in front of whatever venue you're going to you tell the car to park itself you get out you shut the door the car drives away you walk inside while your car goes finds a parking spot If it cannot find a parking spot, it just continues to drive. 
until it does find a parking spot. So for example, if you were at the Whiting here in Flint and it drove through all the parking lots and could not find a spot, it could conceivably drive around the block or open its scope up and go park at U of M, go park downtown, but in the meantime, continue to drive. And there's even cases where they've shown that the car will just drive around the block to you're done. So you're there for a play and you're there two and a half hours. Your vehicle is literally just looping around the block until you're done. Okay. Which now adds traffic and emissions in a situation where if it was being driven by a person, it would have been parked somewhere, no matter what. Because mm-hmm. you want to go inside. So that's another thing. So let's say you go to a Lions football game. Parking is a nightmare. Oh, it's terrible. So you get out right in front of Ford Field and you walk inside. There's what, 40,000 people there? If all the cars are automated, do they continuously look for places to park? Because you and I will pay the, you know, the $10 to go or 20 or 30 or whatever it happens to be to go park in someone's yard. The car won't even consider it. It has to find a actual parking spot. Yeah, well, I assume that it, it has to do with a it. It only has what it is programmed to choose from. So right, it, it's gonna get on like a central database or on Google or whatever it uses, and it's gonna look at parking structures or parking lots. And if like they require payment or something, I would assume it would say right on there. You know, it requires you can't go there. Blah 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 blah. But you know. Well, and I think that these little pods will be less costly, which means more people will have their own pod and they'll just be constantly moving. The Or no one owns a vehicle and they're constantly calling for a vehicle like an Uber, which will be completely automated. So these things will just constantly drive around cities waiting for their next call. That might actually, huh. <laughs> That's exactly what happens when you think about it. Does it become worse because they're all in in motion and ever and there's more out there? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think it becomes worse. I, I think that the emissions for a bunch of when you say self driving, I assume they're all electric. I can't imagine why they'd be internal combustion. I don't think that really changes. I, I think that majority of them will be the same. But the one thing I do, you brought up an interesting point. What if cities were redesigned where all the parking the all of it all the parking structures are on the outskirts of the city people go there they park their car and then everything in the city it becomes mass transit they just have to it, they can schedule their appointments they can schedule their times but you lose the ability to actually drive cars in the city that would be that'd be crazy it's not crazy when i was in italy we went to a neighboring city and then the name is kind of I, I believe it was turin okay where at a certain time and i think it was was like 11 or 12 these pillars came up in the center of the roads Mm -hmm. and vehicles were no longer allowed in the city until after six o'clock so people would park outside the city take their bike out of their car and ride their bike in to go to work knowing that if they drove their car and they couldn't get back out and downtown was very busy bustling lots of people walking but no cars so it's not crazy. It's already being done in some cases. Well, I was just, well, so what popped in my head when you were talking about like parking structures and you said the word pod, and I don't know why this image popped in my head, but I was like, well, imagine like a, imagine, imagine a rotating parking structure, like a Ferris wheel, like something that functional like a Ferris wheel does, but it's for cars. You go in, you say, uh, you put in like the card or the the thing that registers your vehicle, the, you know, your level comes down, your car drives itself off, so you get in and you leave. 
which I, is an outlandish idea, and I think it'd be a cooler drawing than it would be something in real life. But I just don't see a reason to have cars in cities, anyways. I mean, unless the city's ridiculously huge, but most cities, most big ones, are fairly walkable. Right, right, and that's where I start thinking. Okay, maybe, maybe automated or self driving vehicles should just be mass transit because what's going to happen with these little pods or cars is we're going to give them their own lane because people are going to think that they're they're the dangerous thing so they'll give them their own lane they will always function in that lane and everybody who's driving their own stuff will be in the other lane giving the false sense of safety even though we're the ones causing the danger Mm -hmm. it might be that over time they kind of price us out of cars and you can you, you can pay more to call a vehicle to you specifically, but then they just ramp up that's the the automation to mass transit in cities. That's where I start to see where automation becomes much more valuable. Mm-hmm. The more people in one trip, the better it is. Oh, of course. Uh, that's where I start to see that. But there's other issues that come along with self-driving. First of all, unemployment. We, we've recently had discussions about w- what happens to the worker when we don't need you anymore to work. And this is one of them. From truck drivers to, to the gig economy for like Uber and Lyft, delivery, all of these things that we have on the roads, the box trucks, all that stuff. Most of it can be, those jobs can be eliminated Mm -hmm. through automation. Now, you still got to get the box out of the back of a UPS truck from point A to point B. I believe they'll just kind of have a spot on the side of the road where they set it out. You'll have like a lockbox or something where your trash cans usually go. And that's where the package gets put in. It gets shut and locked. But those are just concepts or ideas. But a lot of these, especially truck drivers, there are... Hundreds of thousands of truck drivers who are going to be out of jobs. These vehicles can move from place to place. They are currently doing it now. Tesla uses theirs when they move from one plant to another. They use the automated vehicles. They box Mm -hmm. it in, obviously, with drivers, and there's a driver in the seat, but the vehicle itself is doing what it's supposed to do. It goes from dock to dock independently. And then, so you got to worry about that. And I don't mean just cars, pork trucks, you know, anything that is in movement, heavy machinery, construction large-scale construction. That equipment, someone in an office can tell it what to do and it can go do it. Mm -hmm. Farming. Farming is already becoming a GPS-driven job. Between drones and automated tractors, they don't need people. Well, you're right. They don't. And and I'm glad you said farming. Farming is one of those industries where it's a lot of work. It's a lot of long work. It's a lot of hard work for a small yield. And it uses a lot of expensive equipment. And that's why, like, to be fair, most farm, most farm equipment, like brand new farm equipment is way, way more expensive than the average person realizes. That's why you see farms that have tractors that have been in the family for three generations because they can't afford a new one because they bought that one in 1943 and it still works and they can't afford a brand new John Deere that's $150,000 or more. Right. And so when you look at the, the premise of automating the stuff, if they could do that efficiently and they can handle the investment, you know, that that clears up any having to pay manpower for Lord knows how many years. And I assume with this technology goes on, things will get a little smoother. And when they get, they'll get the software updates and downloads every so often that keep things running the way they're supposed to. But 
like mass transit, I don't really think will change a whole lot in terms of the cost. But like, it's also already not that expensive. In term, I mean, to build, to build a bus, it's not that expensive. It's not that expensive to build a semi or to build a train per se. So all they're really doing is automating the, the front of it. Instead of a person, you have a computer. I can't imagine the cost is going to go up that much. I mean, it might. I, I would love to see. I would love to see the numbers on that. But well, and there's other cons that we have to look at. First of all, this has already been a discussion, and there's and I'm sure there'll be a fight about it. But it's the morality of the software. How do you program a vehicle who is heading towards a cliff, but if it veers away from the cliff, it mows over three other people? Like, how do you tell and teach the software? what to do in those situations there's a morality piece that as we get going is going to come out more and more and more because you know as well as i do you could have ten thousand safe trips but if one trip has a morality crash Mm -hmm. where the vehicle made the decision it's going to be everywhere it's going to be on the news it's going to be on everything you can find you're right and it will be and the downside of that is well outside of the obvious outcome is that even with human driving there is no right decision there is no decision that's better than the and, and, and what's that phrase? It's a Star Trek movie. There is a, I think it's the Wrath of Khan where they have the impossible decision. I can't remember the, what it's called. Like the Yeah, the simulation. Yeah, but there's a name for it. Some cool fancy name that I can't remember. But there there is no right or wrong answer. It just is what it is. Like if, if, if in something that's terrible like that, all you're going to get is a tragic outcome. If the car doesn't veer and hit those people, then it goes off the cliff and the people riding inside of it die. If it does veer off, people in it live and those people die. It's a tragic outcome no matter what. And in those situations, all you can do is try to predict possible scenarios and prepare yourself as good as you can so that kind of stuff doesn't happen or is minima minimized as much as possible i mean look at plane crashes statistically planes are the safest way to travel we look at how many people get from one place to the other with 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 you know minimum incident but when they do happen they happen and they're terrible and i'm sure that at some point in history when the first plane went down with a bunch of people there was probably like a big movement to not have planes i would assume Right. And by the way, your training exercise in Star Trek, I looked it up. It's the Kabashi or Kabashi Maru. Maru. I knew it was something Maru. (laughs) So, so yeah, there's going to be that discussion as that happens. And you're right. If a person does it, there's less discussion. But if the person inside had no choice in the the matter, it becomes this massive issue that that we're going to see over and over again until it finally gets resolved. Another thing is, is fears of hacking. There's always going to be someone who's (laughs) fearing that the car will be hacked and something bad will happen, or they'll blame a hack or whatever. That's too much TV. Like, could you imagine how much work it would have to, you'd have to do to hack the coding to take over someone's car? Like, I'm going to make them miss their Starbucks. Like, really? (laughs) People are ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> there is another thing. Vehicles would have to function differently in different regions. Of course. How would a self-driving vehicle deal with our snow that we're getting today? today in case anybody's wondering, we got a, a rather large snowstorm uh, where we live, and we've got piles and piles of snow all over the roads right now. Here in Duran, the center of the road is a big pile of snow. Like I can't even see the other side very well. So how would the car... If, if there is no way to take control of it yourself, manage the ice, the snow, I believe it just goes very slow but well, I think and gets car, stuck occasionally. I think if the car is smart, it would tell you that it doesn't want to go anywhere and you're stuck at home. But uh, 
I, you know, that's a good question. I think that that would involve a lot more engineering, a lot more sensors. They'd probably have to have like moisture sensors and texture sensors in the tires. The tires, that's another thing. The tires of the vehicle, we're talking like an, an, like AI, self-driving, machine learning, whatever you want to wrap this up in, are going to have to be completely changed to, to handle different terrains. Like right now we're spoiled. We jump in a car and we drive it anywhere, no matter what. Like, okay, it's snow. We go slower. We, we know how to accommodate. We tried to accommodate bad weather, but when it comes to a vehicle, all everything that we have, like you as a human, when you get in your truck, your truck, whether you realize it or not, becomes an extension of your body. When you hit something hard in the road, you feel it in your feet. When, when the wind's blowing real hard, you feel it in your hands because the steering wheel moves like that all has to be accounted for. So if the weather's really bad, like right now I get in my van, if my tire spins, my traction control like goes off because it doesn't have traction. Well, like imagine that times the power of 10. Like it's got to account for everything now. It's got to have wind sensors. It's got to have velocity sensors. It's got to have the ability to realize that like, okay, it's not just no traction. It's on a solid sheet of ice. That's a big difference in no traction. You can't well, even stop. And I don't think that's really that much different than what we have now. We've got radar, we got lidar, we've got temperature sensors. When you get in your vehicle and start it, very often it says ice possible. Yeah, it's but reading different pieces of information. You're right, but it's it's reading it and feeding it back to you, and you're the one making the decisions and controlling it. I'm talking about essentially it has to have a brain. Yeah, it's going to have to have inputs of all these things and drive accordingly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's where the problem comes in. And then I think the, like one of the other things that's always a big, big deal is NIMBY. Just like we talked about wind turbines, not in my backyard. How many people will, will throw a fit or get upset or avoid areas because there's self-driving cars in that area. If this highway has self-driving, I'll take the back roads the whole way. I'll stay in a line oh at God. one for six hours before I scan myself out. They're essentially talking about racism, but with machines. It's amazing. <laughs> segregated driving lanes. This is the interstate for humans, and this is the interstate for self-driving cars. Why is the self-driving car in such better shape? Well, they don't cause as many accidents. Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, so these are all things that are going to happen, pros and cons-wise. And let's be honest, this is new. This whole thing isn't new technology, but it's going to be new to us when it's on the road. It's going to be something that is, we're all just kind of discovering what we should be thinking about right now, because these things are not commonly on the road where we see them. Yes, they are commonly on the road. We just don't know that because they put a person in the driver's seat. Well, you're, I, I half agree with you and I, I half completely disagree with you. Um, They are common on the road in certain areas. Now in your area, my area, they're not where you work, maybe down in those, those more populated areas. Yeah, sure. It's very conceivable. But if you're going to tell me that I see self-driving cars every day in Montrose, you're blowing smoke. No, you barely see cars every day in Montrose. <laughs> okay. Trucks. Is that better? <laughs> Tractors, lawnmowers. My but point is, my point you're is gonna see, you're gonna see them more. You are going to oh, see them. Yeah, more. that I agree with. We're going to see them more. What I'm saying is that it's going to be a heck of a learning curve for a large portion of the population. And I'm sure the people that are growing up into this, the younger generations, the kids, they're gonna grow up with it being second nature, and they're gonna be perfectly comfortable with it. And their granddad's gonna be like, I don't trust it. Yeah, that's that doesn't matter what it is. They say the same thing about the microwave. It, it, <laughs> okay, listen, you shouldn't say that. You know what a microwave can do. 
<laughs> we made plasma in a microwave. Yes. You could. I literally, I got bored one day and Googled. And there is a guy that he, he got taken off of YouTube, but he took three microwaves apart and made a magnetron gun. And he walked around with a battery pack blowing up like watermelons and stuff. <laughs> like, cause it's amazing technology that we use to heat up food. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. <laughs> yes, we do. The, the things that we're going to have to think about is that whole parking problem that driving mm-hmm. around. How do you get mass transit to not go away when everybody can have a tiny little pod or access to privacy in a small pod? Because that's the difference. Most people want their own vehicle, want their own privacy. They don't want to ride a bus with with 40 other people or more. Well, and yeah, there's something to be said about that. So the, it's really kind of a privacy thing and speed because you're stopping for others and that kind of stuff. But how do we fix some of that? So that's what this this episode is a discovery episode where we start digging into those things because you and I will get to do these shows through the process of it happening. And we'll be able to make changes in our conversation based on the realities as they come through. Mm-hmm. And that I do like. So, I mean, uh, is it going to be thousands of rental vehicles out there or is it going to be mass transit with a few vehicles? These are all the questions. But I think this conversation kind of lets us know that it doesn't necessarily make it more sustainable. Even if they are all EVs, if the grid doesn't change, it is not sustainable. Oh, not even close. And matter of fact, even if the grid is sustainable and we have this uh, clean input system, microgrid, all that fun stuff, Mm -hmm. you're still going to wear vehicles out much quicker. You're going to go through materials. You're going to have issues still. So this whole concept is going to have to be looked at on a regular basis to solve these problems or or self-driving will not become sustainable. I agree with that. I also think that there may they may have to look at the way they're designed in the sense that you may have to actually on a major scale design these cars a little more sturdy and like a little hardier for states like Michigan, like New York, where they have a lot of snow. They have a lot more moisture on a regular basis of different kinds. Salt. Salt's a huge thing. That's the last thing you want corroding inside of your vehicle. I think that there's a lot of there's so many aspects of this they have to be looked at. Well, and you still got to get past the person who says, I don't like the way they look, because if you're having these things, they're going to be pretty nondescript. Well, they're not going to be exciting. Them. They're not going to be exciting. I do feel that if you if you own a vehicle, you have the right to pay, to get what you pay for. If you want it to look cool, and I don't, I don't expect them to custom design it for you, but I mean, like in terms of color scheme and that kind of stuff, if you're going to buy it, it makes sense to have that. And people do it with their houses, with everything. If you spend money on something, you want some kind of control over it. But if it's public transport, it doesn't matter what it looks like. I mean, this is for another show, but I do believe that it's owning a vehicle will go away. This whole love of driving over the next couple of generations will just evaporate. It'll just be a story about us when we used to drive. And it will just become transportation from point A to point B. So, I mean, it's we will see. That's a guess of mine as technology takes over and the emotion gets set aside. Because I do believe we will price people out of vehicles to get what we need on the roads. I 100% disagree with that. (laughs) Or, you know, you hope. That it doesn't happen. You can't put emotion aside. Otherwise, we're not human. Humans are based on emotion. It just becomes a convenience of transportation where you get to continue to do something instead of drive itself. Yeah, which says that people that think like that don't understand the way other people think that actually value cars. That more than be, what That might be what it is. They value the time more than the object. Well, or, or here's a, a different view on it. Some people love, just love to drive. 
mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, driving is the the closest control you have on a daily basis with near death near death experiences. When you break it down, you're in a giant hunk of metal secured by a lot of false sense of securities with your foot on a gas that you know if you push it down, you're going to go faster. If you, some people get a huge adrenaline rush out of that, that's why race car drivers do what they do. Well, and I think they're. At, they're on the I think edge you'll of, still be able to do it, but you'll go pay someone on a closed track to do it. I maybe. I mean that that could be possible, but I, I don't think that we're ever going to take all the emotion out of people in vehicles. I, I don't see it happening. It's because we live too close to Motor City. That, that could be very well true. <laughs> we were born and raised into uh, into a culture that uh, was built by Ford and Chevy and Dodge. Mm-hmm. So it's really just. And that when I talk about what I foresee, it is not soon. This is a a, a much more distant outlook. And Probably as have. you know, things change over time. Values change over time. And I don't mean like human values. I mean, what we value changes over time. But right now, turning a key and feeling the rumble has some joy to it. When later it might be just getting from point A to point B as quickly as possible and as painless as possible, you know, so we don't know. But that's why I like this episode, because I wanted to talk about something that really we're guessing right now, because Mm -hmm. it's not something we can necessarily put our finger on. And I I think it would be fun that maybe someday when it is more common, we go back to this episode and see what the heck we said and how far off we were. Yeah, I mean, we... I. I agree with that, but Lord knows how long we're talking here. <laughs> right. So that's all we had for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or on social media. There's other ways you can support realistic sustainability. One of them is by becoming a monthly sustainer on our anchor hosting site, or you can go to greeningyourlife.org and find it there under the podcast section. If if you can't do those, please leave us a five-star review. It has been so long since we have had a five-star review on Apple. If you get that opportunity, consider it a personal favor. Please go on, say something nice. It, it kind of warms my day on a massively, massively snowy day. Plus, let's face it, it, help, it helps us in the rankings so that people can find us in search engines. Thank you again. And remember, we get together each week just to get a little better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we will see you next week. Feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org, E-T-H-Y-K.org.